You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Greta. Uh, so today we're talking about the word toxic. Yeah. I think this is one that's been on our list of words to cover for a little while. Yeah, I think so. Maybe since uh, the Oxford Dictionary called it the word of the year back in 2018. Yeah. In some ways, it feels a bit like we're late to the party, but I also feel like this word is used even more ubiquitously now than it was back then. Yeah, it has a really aughts flavor to me. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, you're right that that we call a lot of things toxic now, more than even before. Yeah. Toxic masculinity, toxic mm-hmm. relationships. Like toxic workplaces. Yeah, toxic people in general. Yes, yes, that's the big one. (laughs) And honestly, in my research, I found that we've been uh, trying to stop using the word toxic for about as long. Yeah. There have been op-eds calling for us to stop calling people toxic since, like, 2015. So why do we use this word? Like, what does toxic actually mean when it's applied to so many different contexts? Yeah, and does it really mean anything anymore? Yeah, there's a lot to cover. Mm -hmm. So... Let's get into toxic and, you know, just see how long we can stretch it without bringing up Britney Spears. (laughs) uh, We'll we'll do our best. I I think we should start with the history long, long before Britney was even born. The dark times. Yeah, exactly. So toxic, of course, originates with that, like, literal scientific meaning. um, And that's been in use since the 1600s. The meaning of, like, being poisonous Mm -hmm. or, like, something that makes you sick or that can kill you. Yeah, exactly. It's from the Greek toxicon pharmakon, (laughs) and it means poison used for arrows. Fun fact, the toxicon part of that phrase, which gives us toxic, actually was referring to the arrow, not the poison at all. The more you know. Yeah. So obviously we still use that chemical definition of toxic, but The metaphorical use is the more interesting side that we wanted to jump into today. No offense to scientists. No offense. No offense to the scientists. (laughs) There just aren't a lot of layers there on the scientific side. (laughs) Not many. Mm -hmm. So in terms of that metaphorical use, the first big one is, you said it before, toxic masculinity. Yeah. And this one actually doesn't come from like the feminist circles that you might be imagining, it originates with the mythopoetic men's movement from the 80s and 90s. Had you, have you heard of this? I had never heard of this, uh, and it sounds very philosophical. <laughs> mythopoetic. I hadn't heard of it either. Basically, this was a movement that sought to reconnect men with their, quote, deep masculinity, or wow. sometimes it was called their warrior masculinity, right? which they wanted to rescue from toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. These groups would often host male-only workshops, sometimes in the wilderness, and they would have things like drum circles or even sweat lodges. Yeah, yeah. Can I just uh, make like a wild guess that Mm -hmm. these uh, drum circles and sweat lodges weren't run by Indigenous people? No. 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 Of course not. Oh. They were mostly middle-class, middle-aged white men. Right. But yeah, you did sniff that out correctly. They, They borrowed a lot from traditional Indigenous practices. Yeah. So the actual term was coined in the 1980s by a psychologist named Shepard Bliss. He was a really big figure in this movement. And his definition of toxic masculinity wasn't that far off from what we think of it as now. It was like about stoicism and dominance. 
sort of this idea that men are emotionally repressed, which leads to like having fragile egos, being angry and aggressive. Mm-hmm. But the big difference is that some people say men in this movement thought that the reason that masculinity was moving in this direction was because of feminism. Right. Like the idea of boys being raised to be soft now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Critics of the movement kind of felt that they were blaming second or third wave feminism for, yeah, like feminizing boys or diluting that like deeper masculinity. So toxic masculinity is the consequence. I'm sure it's way more nuanced than this, but it sounds like you're saying that the idea of toxic masculinity comes from men's rights groups. (laughs) I mean, there were different strains of men's movements at play here, but basically, yeah. Yeah, that's so weird to think about because I feel like the modern versions of men's rights groups, especially post Me Too, are the ones railing against this idea of toxic masculinity. Yeah, and I think there's like a semantic issue here. Like people think that toxic masculinity is saying masculinity is inherently toxic Mm -hmm. rather than like toxic is an adjective describing a certain type of masculinity, like blue masculinity or healthy masculinity. What is blue masculinity, by the way? Oh, no, no, I'm just using it as an example of an adjective. It sounds like you're saying that there is a type of masculinity that is blue. And I like that. And I'm just going to roll with it. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, this term, like we said, has been around since the 80s. But kind of as you alluded to, it definitely spiked after Me Too. Yeah. So let's push on to another big one. Toxic relationships. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Give it up. So, so psychology expert Dr. Lillian Glass, uh, she says that she coined the term toxic relationships in her 1995 book, Toxic People. She defines toxic relationships in that book as relationships that are undermining or competitive or unsupportive. They could be romantic, of course, but... They could also be friendships or professional or even like familial relationships. Right. So whoever coined it, the word toxic is obviously gaining some prominence in the 90s. Yeah. But then, of course, the word got a huge boost in the year 2003. Of course. I think we all know what (laughs) happened in the year 2003. We would be remiss. We would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the important role that Britney Spears' song Toxic played In the explosion of this word. It's genuinely been stuck in my head since we sat down to record. So I'm I'm so relieved that we're here. (laughs) Same here. So in the song, Brittany is explaining to all of us the concept of a toxic relationship, probably for the first time. Yeah. I mean, in 2003, we would have been 12. So she got us early. It's very important, even at 12, to be aware of the warning signs. Here's Brittany bitch (laughs) (laughs) so obviously i wanted to hear this song obviously obviously but I also do sincerely believe that it contributed to the rise of this term, right? I completely agree. It took this very, like, pop psychology concept into the mainstream, 
detailing a dangerous relationship that, you know, she can't extricate herself from. Yeah, it's like this love-hate addiction that she's describing. And this concept is so enduring, right? Like, we refer to relationships, people, workplaces as toxic all the time. So the question remains, like, are we really saying anything with the word toxic? Like, an adjective is used to be descriptive. Is is toxic really describing anything? Yeah, I think maybe this is something that happens to negative adjectives in general, that they, they start out kind of pointed and specific, and then they, through overuse, they, they dilute down into this catch-all to describe anything negative. Yeah. But I think saying toxic relationship as opposed to a bad relationship is that it's definitely more intense and that the toxicity kind of leaks everywhere. Like it's a, this expanding badness. Yeah, if something is toxic, like we said before, it's poisonous. Mm-hmm. It makes me think we're kind of saying, like, this thing is contaminated. Like, there's a spoilage that is irreversible here. Yeah, and it, it kind of paints the whole situation with a brush and says, there's nothing salvageable here. You can't just cut the moldy part off of the cheese in this case. It is a useful word in that way because it sort of, like, closes a door. Like if someone says, like, I was in a toxic relationship or I was in a toxic work environment, maybe it doesn't evoke really specific images, but it isn't inviting follow-up questions, right? Mm -hmm. Which might be useful when you don't want to get into talking about hard stuff with people. Right. It's an extreme enough word that it sort of tells you, I don't want to go there. Yeah. And if you wanted to paint a picture, there are all kinds of more specific words you could choose, like abusive relationship, if that's the situation, or manipulative or competitive or judgmental, right? But it is more fun to kind of just write something off fully with a word like toxic. I mean, not to be uncharitable here, but it does sort of imply that the blame lies with that toxic element, right? Yeah. If you say you were friends with a toxic person, you in that story can still be like the pure and uncontaminated element that had to remove the toxic element from the situation. Totally. And I I also feel like I've seen it used flippantly to just sort of say that relationship didn't work out in a big way, you know, like not. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about like the roots of toxic again, like the poisonous meaning. Yeah. And maybe I am being a little bit uncharitable with my um, point that you're sort of like blaming the other element. Maybe when people say something is toxic, they're, like, defining the word closer to how we use it in chemistry, you know, like, a toxic combination of elements, of substances. To, like, extend the metaphor here, like, bleach isn't technically, like, from a chemical standpoint, toxic. And vinegar isn't toxic. But if you combine them, it creates chlorine gas, which is very toxic. Yeah. So maybe a toxic relationship in some circumstances is a combination of two totally fine elements that react badly with each other. Mm. And if someone is a toxic person, maybe you're right that they're really evil and purely bad, or maybe you're just kind of allergic to that person. Maybe that's how we should be thinking about it. Yeah, I feel like that's the more charitable view. (laughs) (laughs) There's one more use of the word toxic that I wanted to touch on, and I don't think this one suffers from the same sort of amorphous definition of toxic as the last bunch that we've been talking about It feels like it does have actually like a specific meaning, one that I think has become particularly relevant in the past couple of years. And this one is toxic positivity. Yeah. So toxic positivity is 
that attitude that I think we've all run into at some point in our lives that like people should be upbeat no matter the circumstances and look for the silver lining in every situation and everything will be fine all the time, you know? Yeah, like people who say like positive vibes only kind yeah. of thing. And when I learned about this term, I kind of cringed because I think that I can kind of be guilty of this. <laughs> no, <laughs> I actually, okay. I don't think you are. I don't think you are. I think you're like a fixer. And and that could be good and bad. I think it, I am also a fixer. So I agree that it can be sometimes people don't want you to fix things. Yeah. Okay. I really like this reframe, but I think this idea really resonated with me, though, because I think in the past year, we've all kind of learned like the very deep sort of spiritual significance of being able to just like sit in negative emotions and just be able to say like this yeah, totally sucks for sure um i read a piece by scott barry kaufman for the atlantic and he was writing about the antidote to toxic positivity which he says is called tragic optimism hmm. uh, this is a term that was coined by holocaust survivor and psychiatrist victor frankel it's the ability to remain optimistic and sort of search for meaning in the face of what he calls like the inevitable tragedy of life. And one of the big roads to that tragic optimism that he's talking about is gratitude for things outside of yourself, which research shows makes people more likely to help others. Yeah. And in this piece in The Atlantic, Kaufman quoted a gratitude researcher named Robert Emmons, who said, gratitude is not just a switch to turn on when things go well. It is also a light that shines in the darkness. So rather than like the keep your chin up, toxic positivity, we can all maybe look for some gratitude to keep us going in this dark time. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, I I think I'm often a pessimist and I like the idea of like optimism tinged with tragedy. <laughs> like that's that's a that's nice, I think. It's the only way to live. Uh-huh. I didn't expect an episode on the word toxic to end there. It's so uplifting. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. But I think that's a good place to leave it. I agree. <laughs> Thanks for listening.